Matthew 23. So this chapter begins with a warning, and it's pretty broad. And then it, Jesus then goes through seven woes, and they kind of build. They're building on each other. Woe, 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 woe. And then it ends brilliantly. And if you have a Bible that the words of Jesus are in red, you're going to notice there's a lot of red, right? It's pretty much all red. So for the next couple of chapters through chapter 25, Jesus is speaking. So it's a really brilliant section, and we got a lot to do, so let's go. Verses 1 through 12, Jesus begins this, this section of woe by warning his disciples and the crowds about something. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. That was a position of authority where they could expound scripture. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace, and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant." And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That's the warning. Jesus is warning, look out for this group of people, the Pharisees and the scribes. And we, 21st century America, we have a certain connotation. We think Pharisees, we think bad pretty much, right? Bad guys. Legalists, bummers, they kill Jesus, right? So we have this connotation with the Pharisees. They would not have had this 2,000 years ago. The Pharisees and the scribes, they're the top guys. They're the heroes of the faith. It would be like me telling you, hey, Edgewater, do not be like Billy Graham, right? You'd be like, why not? He's a good dude. So Jesus here is talking about a group of people that were greatly respected 2,000 years ago. And he's saying, beware of them. And he begins to say, why? Here's why you should not follow after these guys. Number one, it's verses two through four, they preach without practicing. And Jesus says it, verse three, they preach, but they do not practice. It would be like this. It'd be like going to a dentist who had really bad teeth, right? You'd be like, oh, maybe not. Dude, your teeth look like a piano. I don't know if I want your help. So that's what he's saying. They're, they're 
they're telling you to do stuff, but they're not doing it themselves. It, it doesn't match up. Did you see that latest study on flossing? Did you see that? I think it was like two weeks ago, they said, you don't need to floss anymore. <laughs> so I talked to a good friend of mine who's a dentist in town. He's like, that won't change anything in Grant's past. <laughs> I just laughed. I'm like, okay. He says, even if it does, you're just going to help me retire earlier. So Jesus is saying, listen, these guys, they say good things, and they're teaching in Moses' seat. They're expounding the Torah, but they are not doing any of it. So number one, don't be like them because they preach, but they don't practice. Number two, verses five through six, I just say they were the original Instagrammers, right? They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Like they just, whatever they were going to do, they were make sure that there was a crowd, they had enough followers to actually make it worth their while. And so Jesus points out the phylacteries. The phylacteries were these things because Deuteronomy 6 says, hey, bind God's word to your head and to your hand. Probably not literal, probably more meaning be thinking about it and be doing it, right? That's really what it's saying. But they took it literally and they made these boxes and they would put in the boxes, Exodus 13, two through 16, Deuteronomy 6, four through nine, and Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21. Not very much. You didn't need a big box to fit those little tiny bits into it. But what happened is they started making bigger and bigger boxes. So when I was in Israel, we went to the Dead Sea where the scrolls were found, and they found a phylactery that was like the size of a little igloo chest. So they were literally getting this box and binding it to their head. Why? To show off. Look how big my phylactery is. And they got neck problems going to the chiropractor. Did not matter. Look how holy I am. Do we do the same kind of stuff? Or we do stuff to be seen, but it really isn't representative of what we are? carry around our King James Version giant print Bible, put bumper stickers on our car. Now, I'm not against either of those things if we're backing them up. I say this, if you're going to have a Jesus bumper sticker on your car, you better drive like him. It's why I don't have that bumper sticker on my car, right? I thought about putting a Jehovah's Witness bumper sticker on. I'll empty the place. No one's going to go there anymore. Those guys are rude. So if you're going to put it on there, practice it. That's what Jesus is saying here. Be really careful. I have this quote by Albert Einstein I like. He said this, don't seek to be an individual that's known as a man of success. Seek to be known as a man of value. Success is look at me, look at me, look at me. Value is what's inside here. Who am I? Seek that. Seek to be a person of value. They were all about the outward show. Instagram it. Bumper sticker it. But there's no value inside. Make sure and seek to be a person of value. Um, I, when I was reading this, I was reminded of this story this guy told. He was up in school in Portland. And it was a small class of like 10 people. And the professor had handed back everyone their papers. And one of the students had received a B on his paper. And so he went up to the professor and was like, hey, this is an A paper. I did A work here. And he just kept on kind of like badgering this professor. Finally, the professor just went, fine. He scratched out the B, wrote an A on it, and as he was handing it back, he said, you can have an A on your paper, but you'll always be a B preacher. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah. 
Maybe that guy should have said, why did I get a B? What's wrong with me? Where can I improve? That's why that professor was saying that. You're so bent on getting your A, you don't even care why I give you a B. You're not even wanting to say, well, well the B doesn't matter. I want to be a great preacher. The A mattered, not the fact that he was there to study to become a better preacher. Look out for that. Look out for success over value. Number three, in verses seven through 10, I see the Trinity in there. It says, verse eight, but you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the teacher in John 16. And call no man your father on earth for you have one father who's in heaven. Neither be called instructors for you have one instructor, the Christ. We follow Jesus Christ. So these guys, they love titles. Give me the title. Call me rabbi. Call me teacher. Call me PhD. Call me something. I want, I want that stuff. Give me the title. I hate titles. I think titles divide people up and make their a certain kind of strata, like, well, we're better than you. Look at my title. Look at this. So the one pastor's conference I went to, I signed up for it late. And because of that, I didn't get like a printed out badge. I got the Sharpie badge. It was like, you know, scribbled Matt Heverly. And then I sit down at this table and I, I look around and these guys have like, they had these badges that had all these names on them. And then they had like ribbons and like star, it looked like a, a, a war chest, like a general to wear. I'm like, oh my goodness. And I kept getting this question. Are you a youth pastor? <laughs> well, all right. I'll just be a youth pastor. I don't like titles. It, it's like, I'm going to put you in my place with my title. I don't like the term reverend, Right? I don't want to be called reverend, mostly because I'm irreverent, but I just don't like the title. It's like just, hey, let's make sure and he's in a different category. No way. I don't like any of those things. And Jesus is really saying, look out for titles. The kingdom is not about strata. The kingdom is not about some kind of hierarchy. No, the kingdom is about you exemplifying me. That's what it's about. So lastly, Jesus ends by saying this. He gives the simplest constitution of the kingdom ever, and it's verse 11 and 12. The greatest among you, here's what you're, okay, warning about that, here's what you should be. The greatest among you shall be called your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. We're supposed to live that right there. Don't be these other things, preaching without practicing, Instagramming your entire life to be seen, looking for the right title. Don't, don't do any of these, those things. Instead, be humble servants. There's the simplest constitution of the kingdom ever. Be humble servants. If we could live that, things would look so differently, I think, in America. I have a book by Philip Yancey. I really love it. I read it when I was really kind of young in the faith, and it impacted me because he said this. He said the churches he saw in his lifetime, the church made two big mistakes and they did not do humble servanthood. And he said the two big mistakes he saw in his life was the AIDS of the 1980s and feminism that he saw in the 1970s. He said the response of the church was so bad in those things that we're still suffering the repercussions of that. And so he said, if in the 1980s, when AIDS was coming out, if the church would have done this, if the church would have staffed all the hospitals that cared for AIDS patients. Would the relationship between the homosexual community and the church be different today? A 100%. And you know the church had done that for a thousand years before in this disease that we call leprosy, which at that time was called a curse from God. 
It was the church that staffed the hospitals that cared for these people. And yet, we didn't do that. And they said in feminism, there's, there's probably this right kind of, hey, men were acting like pigs. And he said this, if men in the 1970s and 80s and 90s and 2000s and 2010s <laughs> had been Ephesians 5.26 kind of men, loving our wives like Christ of the church, humble servanthood. The answer to that, hey, men are pigs, would have been, no, they're not, marry a Christian. He said, if we'd have done those two things really well, we'd have a radically different country right now. And I agree with him. This is the constitution of the kingdom, humble servants. It's how we win. That's how we win. Not preaching and not practicing. That gives a black eye all the time. One of the biggest accusations I hear over and over against church is, you guys preach, but you don't practice it. Humble servanthood cures those things. So Jesus warns, and now he goes seven woes. Please notice they're not seven dams. He's not damning these people. He's not saying, I'm done with these people. It's different. There's hope. It's an alarm to awaken them and regather them. And that's how the book, this chapter ends, all right? And in these seven woes, you know what? I find myself in them. And I think you'll probably find yourself too. And it's a great warning to say, Lord, I don't want to be these things. So help me. So woe number one, verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Number one, the woe is this, you're blocking heaven. Now, they did it through all these rules and regulations, and they, they, what they call it, it said that we're fencing the Torah. So you don't break the Torah, we're putting all these fences out and out and out to fence off the Torah. So they had rule upon rule upon rule that tried to keep people from ever breaking one of the laws of the Torah. All right, the most classic one is the Sabbath day. God says, don't work on the Sabbath. What does that mean? Well, they started fencing that thing out. So they began to define what work is. They said, work is carrying anything heavier than a dried fig. That's work. So my question would be, well, what's a dried fig? What percent water would that be? On the Sabbath, you could spit on a rock, but you could not spit on the dirt because if you did, it might roll up and make mud, which would be work, right? So they had just these, these rules upon rules upon rules, and they didn't really care about heaven. It wasn't that they were caring about heaven. They cared about the rules. They didn't care about people becoming Christ followers or moving toward Jesus. What they cared about was one thing. Do you obey my rules? And that's the problem. So it was almost like to get to heaven, you need to pass the bar exam. All these complicated things. What, you spit on mud or spit on dirt on the Sabbath? Hell for you. So it's just complicated and weird. Now we could say, well, I don't do that. Well, do we block heaven in other ways? So I know people, I talk to them to this day in Grant's Pass, that will say this, I don't go to church. I don't want anything to do with Jesus because pastor so-and-so had an affair. I don't like calling them affairs either. That's like making it like, you know, a little celebration or something. Committed adultery because so-and-so. So we got to look out of that. Now, well, I didn't do that. Well, how about this? How about this is closer to me? I ask this question of myself quite often. Would anyone want my life? 
I'm saying Jesus, I've, I've, I've been brought into the kingdom. I've been given abundant life. Would anybody want my life? If someone's looking in from the outside and saying, you're representing the kingdom of heaven, what does that look like? Do I display joy? Am I displaying the fruit of the spirit? Am I living my life in such a way that people say, that is heavenly? That's a preview of coming attractions. I want some of that life. What do you got there? If I don't, I might be blocking the way to heaven. Our lives are supposed to demonstrate we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and it makes a difference in how I live my life. Do we block heaven? And number two goes right along with it. Woe number two, verse 15, they're building hell. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. (laughs) Because they're fake, because they're hypocrites, because they're disingenuous, they are pushing away people from heaven and sending them to hell. That's hardcore. This one to me is sobering because of some interaction I have with people when I talk about um, the gospel and presenting the gospel. There are today people that use techniques to try to get people to pray a prayer. I fear that. One of my heroes of the faith is Jonathan Edwards. And when Jonathan Edwards would preach, he would put his manuscript out on this pulpit, he would look down, never look up, and he would read it monotone. Bueller, 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 I mean, full on. And he had a reason. He said, I do not want to manipulate anyone. I believe the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to save people through the pure proclamation of the gospel that it is the power of God under salvation. I don't have to help it. And guess what happened with Jonathan Edwards? It was called the Great Awakening. It transferred, transformed the, the entire left coast of America, right coast of America. Why? Because he trusted in the power of God's spirit. Techniques make my skin crawl. When people start these crazy kind of things, I just say, that's just psychology 101. I took that class in college. You're just manipulating people. And here's why I hate it, because what happens then is I talk to these guys years later, and they'll say this, yeah, I went forward or I got baptized. I tried Jesus, and it didn't work. I don't know what you tried, but it wasn't Jesus because you don't try Jesus. That's like saying I tried skydiving and it didn't work. (laughs) No, something's going to (laughs) happen. One way or the other, something's going to happen. And it almost inoculates them against the real gospel. So I look very carefully about how I present the gospel. I don't want techniques. Because some of the most ardent haters of Christianity start in the church. Richard Dawkins, who is the high priest of atheism, he was Church of England, whole time growing up. What happened to him? I don't know, but it's scary to me. We have to be very careful with the way that we present the gospel. We don't need techniques. I need the Holy Spirit moving upon men's heart through the simple proclamation of the gospel. Paul says, I did not come with fancy words. I didn't come that way. I came preaching Christ and him crucified.
1 Corinthians chapter 2. Be careful. These guys blocked heaven, they built hell, and they were technicality pros. Look at this, verse 16. Woe to you blind guides who say if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. These guys were technicality pros. They're always looking for the the loopholes and the, the way out, right? And it's very silly and it's very pedantic. Like, are you kidding me? If you swear by the temple, no big deal. Swear by the gold, oh, you got to keep it. Swear by the altar, nothing. You can back out on your word. Swear by the gift, oh, you got to do it. I don't like pedantic stuff. I had a class. It was two years ago. And the professor did something I'd never seen before. This guy, it was about 25 of us. We were with him for three days. And this guy raised his hand and said, sir, can I ask you a question? And he goes, no. And everyone's like, whoa, may you ask me a question? Yeah, exactly. He did that about a dozen times the next three days. It was like over and over. And I just went, really, you want to fight over that? Because you're making this person feel like a fool. So to make your point, you're just shutting this person down. It's pedantic. It's ridiculous. I don't like stuff like that. That's what these guys were doing. It's silly, right? Language is fluid, by the way. Anyways, can is changing. Language is always fluid. So the meaning of can 15, 20 years ago, it's really changed. Um, And it's silly. Their whole thing here is backwards. They had reversed it, right? It'd be like having a baseball signed by Babe Ruth and saying, what makes that baseball valuable? The Corinthian leather that it's made of? No, the fact that the great one signed it. So they had reversed this whole thing and it became very childish. Like I'm crossing my fingers. I don't have to keep my oath now. I don't have to pay you back. Oh, Matt, I don't do that. Oh, I think we do in America. How many lawyers are hired to get people out of contracts? When you know what you signed up for, you know what your heart was, you know what you agreed to, but now you're trying to find little words in it to escape from what you really, truly signed up for. You promised your word. But words don't matter anymore, and they should. Or how about conversations you get in with people, and then they make a slip-up, right? And then you just hold them on that one slip-up. Well, you said, yeah, but that wasn't what I meant. Yeah, but you said. I mean, really? Pedantic. We shouldn't be that way. We should not be technicality pros, right? I tell my kids this. You cannot, they, they're always like, yeah, but. I say, we don't have any yeah, buts in our house. You may not say that, Right? Listen to what I'm saying right now, okay? All right, great. I made a mistake with my word there. Okay, fine. This is what I'm trying to say. This is what I'm trying to help you with. I think that's it. Let's not be technicality pros. Let's really get to know people's hearts, and let's make sure when I have shared my heart, I don't go back out of it. Now, I gave my word. 
and my word is part of my honor, and I will keep that. I won't try to get a lawyer to get out of it. And I think the church at times, we divide over the dumbest things, pedantic junk. Like we have so many denominations now. When the Protestant Reformation took place, the Roman Catholics said this, and they were right. They said, here's what you're doing. You're taking a hammer to glass, and you're going to keep smashing the glass, and it's going to get more and more and more sharded. Has that not happened? How many different denominations do we have? How much division do we have? Some of it's necessary, no doubt, but not all of it. Baptism. Look how many different ways there are to baptize people. Forward, backwards, straight down, sprinkled, babies, adults, twice, three times, four times, only once. I mean, tons of ways. In whose name? Is it God's name? Spirit's name? All three names? What it, it's amazing when you study something that should be as simple as baptism, how complicated and crazy it gets. There's those that believe in baptismal regeneration, which means this, you're not saved till you're baptized. In India, I dealt with this church that had, and they asked me this question. There was this guy, they believed in baptismal regeneration. This guy was on his deathbed, so they took him out to baptize him. He died in the water. So then they argue with this widow that he wasn't actually saved. No. And I'm like, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? It's crazy. So I, here's what's happened to me in the, probably the last 10 years. When I started ministry, I had this like, it, it was an inverted pyramid. And up on top was all these die for doctrines. Like these are cardinal, you have to agree with me. And then underneath the, the die for doctrines were some less important. And at the very bottom, just this minor thing was, oh, these don't really matter. Well, in 10 years, guess what's happened to that pyramid? It's flipped. Now at the top, there's just a few like, mm, these are really, really important. I call them die fours. And then underneath that, there's a little bit bigger box. And I call that the divide four. There's people that say, man, you're saved and I love you, but I can't worship with you. The way that you do things is so foreign to me. I just don't, I can't resonate with that. The way that you praise or the way that you preach, these things, it's not me. I'm not saying you're not saved and I'm not saying we can't have fellowship. I just can't go to the same church as you. Divide for. And then underneath that, even a bigger box is this box that I just say, I've decided for. I've decided to kind of believe this way. And if you believe somewhere else, I'm not that worried about it. But I know what I believe and I know why I believe it. I understand your side too. And hey, it's wonderful. We can talk and debate and have a good conversation that's really healthy and fun to decide for, right? So um, one of those would be, is, is the next event, the second coming of Jesus or the rapture, right? So the all-mill people say, second coming. The dispensationalists say, no, it's the rapture. But you know what? They're both looking for the same thing. So I just say, I'm looking for the return of the king. You call it a rapture, you call it a second coming, I don't care. We're both waiting for the same thing. They're both waiting for the identical same thing. Why are you arguing? We're both waiting for Jesus. So to the rapture people, I'm like, man, I can't wait for the return of the king. To the second coming people, man, I can't wait for the return of the king. I just say, I'm taking middle ground. I don't, doesn't matter to me. I'm waiting for Jesus to return. And you can call it a rapture. You can call it a second coming. It doesn't matter to me. I'm not going to argue over that. I'm not going to divide on that. Don't care really. And that's my last category, which is even bigger. There's all these doctrines. I'm like, hmm, fascinating. And if people are really bent on them and they want to talk to me and try to say this, usually what I'll do on a don't care, I'll just be, oh, that's interesting. So if I've ever said to you that, <laughs> what I'm saying is you're in this category right here. Mm, all right. You can get all wrapped up in it. I'm not going to. 
because there's very little die for us, and they really deal with Jesus and sin to me. And then there's these divide for, and it's kind of like, hey, your methods and stuff like that. And then underneath that, there's this big kind of, hey, I've made some decisions in my life, doctrinally, where I'm going to stand on these things. And if you've made something different, man, we still can love each other and walk with each other and have the same mission, which is to make Jesus beautiful to Grant's past. No problem. And there's even a bigger one that I just say, this is all fascinating to me, but and at the end of the day, I don't think it changes my mission or changes how I live my life. It's just fascinating stuff. So very different now. And it's, for me, been really, really healthy. I'm no longer the technicality guy. Wait a second. What did you say? Can, not may. May, can, you know, not going to do that to people. Unless it's up at the top. These guys argued over everything. Next one, verse 23. They miss what matters. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the other. You blind guides, straining at gnats and swallowing camels. So this has built to now they're missing what really matters. They're tithing on their grains of salt while down the road a widow is starving to death because they have no justice. Swallowing gnats, or straining out gnats, and swallowing camels. Have we done the same thing historically? I was reading about the church about 200 years ago, and they were worried about the length of women's skirts at that time. Controversial subject. How long should they be? Can you see a toe or an ankle? Or, you know, that was it. And those same churches were preaching it was okay to own slaves. Is that missing the weightier things? Oh, 100%. Oh, we're not free of this. We, we do similar things today. I had this conversation with a guy who was many years ago out in front of our old office, and he caught me on the way out, and he wanted to argue with me about Calvinism. And so I'm like, okay, fine, let's do this. All right, okay, all right, all right. And then, then it went to eschatology. Okay, let's do this. All right, all right. And it was like a half-hour conversation. I'm like, ah, finally get done with that, go to where I need to go. The next day I find out he is committing adultery on his wife, and his wife is going to get, back then, a card to use medical marijuana to deal with it. I'm like, really, you're going to talk to me about Calvinism when you're committing adultery on your wife? Are you kidding me? It's like a smoke screen or something. It's just crazy to me. That's like getting your arm bit off by a shark and worrying about your watch. Man, that was a really nice watch. Dude, your arm's gone, man. Who cares about your watch, right? And yet, there's a ton of this. It's Amos 5. That's what Amos 5 is all about. It's God there saying, I hate it when you're in church. You know that text. I've said it before. I hate it. Why? And, And that text ends by saying, let justice roll down the mountain. Let um, righteousness flow like a river. That's Sadaqah and Mizpah, those two words. You guys get it back to the big things. You're not being just. You're not being right. That's why. That's why I hate it when you're in church, because you're not being what you're supposed to be. You're missing the weightier things of the Bible. So why is that? Why is that in us? Why is Amos 5 in us? Why have we seen that throughout history? Why do people tithe on their herbs and yet show zero justice. Here's why I think. 
it's easier. It's easier. It's either easier to, you know, count out your grains of salt and be, okay, I did my thing. It's an event then. I'm done. Justice is a lifestyle. So on Tuesday morning, we were talking about missions and, and what missions is supposed to be. And, and I like short-term missions, and I go on short-term missions, but here's the thing about a short-term mission. You can do short-term missions for two weeks, right? Get it up. Yeah, I'm going to go for it, do all this kind of stuff, and then come back the next 50 weeks and live like a jerk. And you still feel like, hey, I did pretty good, man. I went on the mission field. I did this great stuff. I call it aquarium ministry. It's like I can take out the little pet, pet them for two weeks, and then put them away and just do my life. Justice is not like that. Justice is I'm committing my life to be lived in such a way that every single day means something, that I'm caring for my neighbor, that I'm loving them like myself. It's much more difficult. I can't just come back and be a jerk. <laughs> it's I've got to live this thing out every single day. And by the way, I think the path of the legalist always goes to the easy route of I'm going to count out my tithe I'm going to punch, you know, okay, I'm not going to eat this. I'm not going to drink that. I won't wear those clothes, but I'm not going to have any compassion on people that are broken. Why? Because they just need to be like me. If they wouldn't eat this food and they wouldn't do these things and they wear my kind of clothes, they'd be perfect as well. They just kept my rules. Be so careful about legalism. Legalists rarely have compassion on broken people. We are to be those by the strength of Jesus who live lives of justice and mercy and faithfulness. Woe to me when I read this. Woe to me. Is my lifestyle one of justice and mercy and faithfulness? And then Sunday, we looked at verses 27 through 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful. Outwardly appear beautiful but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. I call this righteous fakes. They were righteous fakes. Sunday we talked about that. Am I a righteous fake? I think at times. I think at times. I think we all want to present an idealized self that looks better to everyone else than it really is. I think we all do. So we arrange the homepage on our phone to have all our Bible apps, and it's the last page that has Pokemon Go, right? No, I don't want anyone to know I'm playing that, you know? I'm supposed to be working right now. We leave our Bible open to Haggai, like you're really reading that, okay? (laughs) I was studying Haggai, right? If you ever do something, you let people know about it. So Monday morning, you get up at 5 a.m. and for some crazy reason, you read Leviticus. And you've never done that before in your history of life. But at 8 a.m. when you go to work, guess what you're talking about? Hey, bro, how was your morning? Oh, you would not believe it. It's so good. Got to pick five, read Leviticus. You know, I'm just fine. That's just the best way to do life, you know? It's kind of fine. That's that's the pattern I want to be doing in my life. It's one time, but man, you let everybody know it's all in us. We have the same thing. But be careful of it because it'll catch us. It will catch you. We talked about that on Sunday. Verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the, right, of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus, 
you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers. Brood of vipers was about the worst thing you could call somebody. Because in this time, what, what was believed was, um, and, and maybe there really is a species that does this, that the viper actually ate its way out of its mom's belly. So that was what was believed. So they're saying, you're the worst of the worst. So Jesus here, using extremely, it, it's what John the Baptist had said back in chapter three. It's again, you guys, it, it's strong, strong words Jesus is using here. How are you to escape from being sentenced to hell? He knows how. Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altars. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Very important to note that when we come to chapter 24, this generation. Last woe is you guys are deluded murderers. They're deluded because they were saying, we'll never be like our dads while they're plotting to kill Jesus. (laughs) It's ironic. We're not gonna kill the prophets. We're gonna decorate their tombs and take care of them. We're not like those guys. Let's kill Jesus. It's crazy. And so I thought when I was reading about slavery 200 years ago, I thought to myself, man, I would never do that. I would, I would be preaching, you know, freedom. And am I sure about that? I'm sure about that. Because let's just bring it up today, right? We have issues today. How am I doing on those issues? Syrian refugees, how do I feel about those? Good pastor that I, I love, he had a Muslim family move in right down the road from him, and he, he began a conversation with them, and then he invited them to his church. And this was their answer to him. He said, oh, no, we can't go to church because those are the people that hate us. Is that true? Oh, we've got to be so careful. What are we doing in our day? What are we doing? Now, the government has a job, no doubt about it, Romans 13, but the church has a job. And the church's job is always... You overcome evil with good. Jesus says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, love your enemies. Pray for those that persecute you. Our job is to be so different. We're kingdom of heaven people. And yet very often, we can look back 200 years and be like, we'll never be like them. (laughs) Well, we're just repeating the same things in our context. Oh, woe to me. And then we end with the heart of the king. Verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, You will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's the king's heart. All the woes, all the planning to kill Jesus, 
does not change his heart for murderers, right? You guys that murder the prophets, you murderers, I'm still beckoning you to come underneath my wing. How huge is that? Jesus loved his country. Jesus loved his city. Jesus, it's okay to be a patriot. Jesus, Jerusalem, this is my city. These are my people. You're murderers, no doubt, but I still want to gather you underneath my wing. That's a, such a brilliant way to end this. The woes are not to condemn them. The woes are to awaken them. Come in, wake up. Stop living this kind of fake life. Come to me. How are you going to escape hell? <laughs> he asks that question back in verse 33. He just gave them the answer. Come to me. Come to me, you murderers. This is the way of the church. I've talked to you guys about Gordon Wilson with the IRA, how the way he responded to his daughter dying in a bomb blast ended that war. That was the death nail in that war because he did not call for retribution. Instead, he said, I'm not doing that. No way. That won't solve anything. I talked to you about Ethel Lance's daughter in the Charleston, South Carolina shooting where he, that Dylan killed nine people at a prayer group. How Ethel Lance's daughter responded to him in such gracious kindness. That's it. I've talked to you about Nagaland. It's called the most Baptist state in the world. It's in Northwest India. Northeast India, excuse me. And that, that place, it's, it's like 90% Baptist believers, which is unheard of in India. Usually the numbers are like 3%, 2%, 5%. But what happened there was brilliant. There's a wife and husband that went there and the husband was killed and the wife did not leave. And she kept being so good and so kind to these people, they could not believe it. And they said, why? And she said, because of Jesus. And now that place, that, that, that unbelievable goodness that came from that woman has changed an entire state in one of the most hard areas to be Christian. There's an article called From Headhunters to Soul Hunters, and it's about Nagalong. Just brilliant. There's just, th- this is the way it goes. When we are kind, when we show that kind of kindness, it, I, I call it, you know what geometric multiplication is? I'll explain it to you. <laughs> so if you took a piece of paper, if it was possible, and you folded it 50 times in half, how thick would it be? Yep, to the sun. Because each time it's doubling. That's geometric multiplication. If you folded it 51 times, it'd go to the sun and back again. It's doubling every time. That's what goodness does. Goodness transforms societies. It multiplies. Jesus takes our five loaves and our two fish and just multiplies it. And that goodness, it begins tomorrow morning with your neighbor with your coworker, with the people that you would pronounce all these woes on. It begins with them. That's how we change Grant's past. And so, Father, I pray, as we partake in your broken body and your spent blood, I pray that we would remember your kingdom. We would remember you as king. We would remember that you were the humble servant. We would remember how your life has geometrically multiplied throughout our world, transforming states, countries, history, hospitals, 
healthcare, orphans, widows, lepers, and that we would allow your body and your blood to awaken in us that same life. So may we partake in your body. May we have embodied remembrance even this evening. We're by remembering, by digesting, we are metamorphosized into your same image. So Jesus, would you grab a hold of my heart? Would you forgive me where I have been a blind hypocrite? Would you forgive me where I've wanted aquarium ministry instead of a lifestyle of righteousness and justice? Would you forgive me where I want to tell other people what to do, and yet I don't want to hear what I'm supposed to do? Would you forgive me for preaching and not practicing? Would you forgive me for not allowing your beauty to cause me to be a humble, worshiping servant of my high king? Would you forgive us all, Lord, where we're hypocritical? Would you forgive us all where we have become calloused to this world and uncaring? You cared for the very people that were going to murder you. You beckoned them to come to you. Oh, may we have hearts like that, I pray. So would you come in these elements and change us, I pray. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.